When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. It's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and welcome to the program on this wonderful day. I'm so glad you can join us because I think you'll find this program to be a real treat because we're going to be talking to someone who was very close to what I would consider a TV and movie icon. Who am I talking about? Don Knotts. Who are we talking with? His daughter, Karen. Karen, how are you doing today? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great. Thank you. It's very sunny out here in Los Angeles today. Well, that that is great, but I understand you're coming back my way in the next few days because you have two shows coming up, one in Parkersburg and one not very far from where I'm sitting right now in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is where your dad grew up and also went to college. That's right. I'm really excited about this. Of course, I've been to Morgantown before, and I interviewed people for my book. In, uh, so I, I went to back to my father's hometown to interview people who had known him. Or, But what it really turned out to be was the sons and daughters of the people that he went to school with. And they told me some wonderful stories. So I'm now really excited to go back and do the show for them. Because now they can feel like they're a part of it. Now, what is the show consisting? Is it you basically doing your book or just doing question and answers? Or how is this going to work? No, it's, it's a full one-person show. Okay. Very similar to what Lily Tomlin did. I don't know if any of your listeners I, ever... <laughs> yes. I've seen it, so I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, it's a full one-person show, and it's got characters, it's funny, and it's also got a lot of pictures of Dad in it, and it's got some movie clips, and it's a real experience. It takes it takes people through his life and mine and how our lives intertwined. Okay, and I was going through some stuff before we talked, and I, and I don't want to talk about the, the negative thing last, but when your father passed away in 2006... There is a portion where it says that you actually had to leave the room that you were in with him because you just had to laugh. And you make <laughs> and you make the comment that it wasn't because he said anything funny, it was because he was funny. That's right. I was very surprised. It was just an offhand comment that I made and I got, <laughs> it was it's been replayed so many times. I was really surprised at that, but um yeah, he was just being funny. He was just so naturally funny, just so gifted. 
and he could just be funny just by his look or, you know, a right. shake of his head or something would just crack you up. And so I, my stepmother and I were both in just hysterics. And I ran out of the room. She stayed there. <laughs> she has a softer, quieter laugh than I do. And I was telling this story to a friend, Howard Storm. He directed Mork and Mindy. And, yes. Um, Howard knew my dad, and I, I was just happening to be interviewing him about my book, for my book. And I told him that story, and he said, oh, you should have just stayed and laughed. That's what comedians <laughs> live for. <laughs> so how well, old was your dad when he realized that he wanted to be a comedian? He wanted to perform in front of – perform for people. I would say five years old. Okay. And and what what ba- basically gave him that ambition to do it? Well, his mother took him to see the Laurel and Hardy pictures, which were playing at the time in the local theater, probably at the Metropolitan Theater, which is a movie house. And um, he was just completely done away by that. And he went home in, in, imitating Stan Laurel for days. Uh-huh. And he, he knew right away that's what he wanted to do. And it just became a goal every day of his life to make it in show business from that point on. And, th- and that is just amazing. So when did he decide to move to New York? He was 18 years old the first time he went. And he had, you know, he struggled and struggled to find his, his comedy was, he was, like I said, naturally funny, but he didn't really learn how to control that humor. He was the butt of a lot of people's jokes because okay. they knew how to they knew how to tease him and provoke him to where he would be angry or frustrated, and that that was you know funny. Um, but he didn't know how to make it make them laugh when he wanted it to, to be there until he studied his older brother Shadow, who he said my dad said in his own book was a naturally gifted comedian, and through studying Shadow. He began to learn some techniques, and he learned ventriloquism. And so he performed a lot of shows in high school and in the Army. Um, but before he even went into the Army, he'd become so popular and such a hit in high school that he felt confident enough to go to New York and try to break in on his own. And he went there, and of course it was a bust. <laughs> he, was, he didn't know what he was doing, and you know, he was too young. Um, but it was a valuable experience. So um, before you came, before we uh, started, I mentioned that earlier that I had the opportunity to interview Steve Allen in 1995. And is it considered that Steve Allen gave your dad his big break? He definitely did. But before that, it was really Bill Dana who was a producer on the Steve Allen Tonight Show. Oh, okay. And, and for many of your your friends listening um, probably don't know anything about that, but the Steve Allen Tonight Show was live television days, way back at the very beginning of television. And Steve, the Steve Allen Tonight Show was one of the top shows for comedy. It was a sketch comedy show, like Saturday Night Live. Right. And Steve Allen really, in my opinion, pioneered the first men on the street. And 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 we were talking. That's funny you mentioned it because when I interviewed him so many years ago, we talked about that. And he said that because the, when he did The Man on the Street, of course, it was mainly staged, but he had Louis Nye and he also had your dad, who mm-hmm. would be the ones interacting with Steve Allen, so-called, in a studio while they were on the street. And they would just be answering his questions and doing it in a way that the audience enjoyed. And they were funny. 
Exactly. And they also had Tim Post, Tom Post. Tom Post, yeah. So it was, it was, it was the three of them, and um, they were just an incredibly funny team. And it was hysterical. And my dad really became famous from that, from doing that Nervous Guy bit. So when did he get from the Steve Allen program to what I think everybody knows him as, as Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith show? Well, he auditioned for a play on Broadway. He was, this is what I love about um, the book is, is it tells all these in between steps that people want to know. He was in New York and he had, you know, he was hanging around with a lot of the New York comics, Buddy Hackett, Jerry Stiller, you know, Milton Berle was among them, and there were just a lot of these guys, you know, Red Buttons, Phil Silvers, all these guys started in New York in the 1950s. They knew right. each other. And so he's hanging out with them, and they would meet in the coffee shop, and they would trade stories about what was going on in the trades, or they uh-huh. would talk about, you know, auditions and everything. And so one day, Dad walked into the coffee shop, and his buddy uh, said, what are you doing? I thought you'd be at the uh, audition for the the new Broadway play. It's no time for sergeants. They're looking for Southerners who were in the army, <laughs> and that was exactly what he was. Right. And he just couldn't believe that he had missed it. He he hadn't read the trades that day, so he just ran like heck to make it to this audition. And he did get in, and he uh, he got a small part. And that was a show that Andy Griffith was starring in, and it was his first breakout role as a star. Uh-huh. And that's how he met Andy Griffith. So from there. When Andy had a pilot on TV, uh, Andy got him in on that. Was it was it your dad? And I read this, and I don't know where I read it at, but your dad went to Andy and said, basically, a sheriff needs a deputy, and I'm the one that needs to be the deputy? No. What happened was, um, Dad saw him performing, and the, sh- the show pilot for the Andy Griffith show was on the Danny Thomas show. And that was Sheldon Leonard's idea. Sheldon Leonard was the big mastermind of television sitcoms back okay. then. And so he was producing that show as well. So he had an idea, well, since Danny Thomas is so popular, everybody's watching that show, why don't we put Sheriff Taylor there and, and let people see you know, how good that show is, and then they'll want to tune in to the new show. So that's where my dad saw him, um, mm-hmm. saw that Andy, and Andy, he didn't know that Andy had this pilot until he saw him on the Danny Thomas show. So he gave him a call and said, hey, don't you think that, you know, the sh- Sheriff Taylor sh- could use a deputy? And, and Andy said, well, I thought you were doing Steve Allen. And uh-huh. Dad said, no, that, that show has is, is been over since spring. So he said, well, call Sheldon Leonard, Andy said. And, and basically, that's when your dad became a household name, was because of the Andy Griffith show, because in some some ways... I still believe this when I watch the show to this day, which is still airing on TV, I think, everywhere, that your dad steals the show, for the most part, in a lot of the programs. Oh, yeah, sure he does. And Andy knew that. But, you know, Andy was very gracious. He stepped aside. He was originally going to be the funny one. Yeah. But he very quickly realized, no, that's not going to be me. That's going to be Don. But he didn't, you know, he didn't have any qualms about, you know, nowadays, Gosh, you know, some stars, can you imagine some of the stars today just stepping aside and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to be straight man to this guy who's funnier than me? (laughs) (laughs) No, that doesn't happen very often, (laughs) ever. Especially Um, if you're the one the show is named after, and you're the attractive one, and you have this 
I don't want to say that he's unattractive, but he's not the one that you would feel that the audience would be attracted to, but yet they were. They were, sure. But, you know, that was Andy. Andy had this real giving side to him, and to him what mattered most was the show being the best that it could possibly okay. be. And for him that meant Dad being the funny one. And um, most people, I don't know if most people should know this, but there is someone that also was on that program who grew up on the show, who grew up in front of everybody, and that was Ronnie Howard. And when your dad was on the show, did you interact with with Ron Howard? I did. I went on the set, and I met him a couple of times, and, and that was a lot of fun. It was interesting to me because he was not like any of the other kids I'd ever met. Okay. And, and what made him different than the other kids that you've met? Well, he had sort of a gravitas about him, like a, you know, like an adult maturity in uh, a way. He, he was a kid still, but he just had this whole higher level going on. Okay. Where you know he had to, he was living an adult life basically. Yeah. Of course, they did have they did have uh, some you know things on the sets where he could play, and his his little brother who played the character of Leon, you know, Clint Howard. Yes. And they, but he also had the gang of kids. And so when those gang of kids were on, they would play basketball on the set and baseball and everything. So when you, how old were you um, when you realized that your dad performed in front of people and that's what his job was? I always knew that because I was watching him on the Steve Allen show okay. when I was like five years old or something like that. So as soon as I was... Oh, old enough to have an awareness. I knew my dad was an actor. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting when I ask other people whose parents were actors and actresses when they realized it and if they knew their dad or their mother was someone special. Um, and it's interesting that you said you remember him because you remember from the Steve Allen show. Now, not only was he doing the Andy Griffith show at the time, he was doing movies also. That's right. He... Um... He left the show um, at the end of five years, which was the contract that they had signed. It was a five-year contract. And he started, my dad was always very practical about work. He never wanted to be out of work. Okay. <laughs> he was very, very, very neurotic about that. So he immediately started looking for work, and he got an offer from Lou Wasserman at Universal Studios for a five-picture deal. And Lou Wasserman said to him, you know something? I cannot believe that the that the, the incredible Mr. Limpet was not a huge success. If Disney had done that movie, it would have been a blockbuster, but somehow they didn't market it right. Well, and in those days they didn't know how to market it because it was the first, you know, live action animation feature film ever done. And the funny thing is, not that you can see it right now, but I actually have that movie sitting in my studio because that is one of my favorite films that your dad did. Now, of course, I have it on DVD, but it is. It's one of those unique films of combining animation with live action. And it, again, it, it, it was very well done for the time. And I guess... If you watch it enough, you can see where there's a little bit of inconsistency. But for the time period, it was. It was just well done. It was very well done. And they didn't um, – funny thing is the, the voice of Ladyfish. Yes. Somewhere along the line, they had to recast that. <laughs> the, the voice wasn't working. 
and um, so they they had to redo and and that in those days it took a long time you had to redo everything it, it took forever but I was it was interesting for me as a child I went to the set of the Andy Griffith show I mean the, the incredible Mr. Limpets and Carol Cook was she played his wife that lovely redheaded lady and I remember watching her she was putting the glasses on the fish uh-huh. if you remember that scene yes, that yes. Mr. Limpet loses his glasses in the fall so she's putting the glasses on the fish. And I was so fascinated by that because it was this very heartfelt scene that just made you want to cry. And when I look, when I watched that, she was putting the glasses into a box, and I saw later it was just a box full of junk, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, the power of her imagination. That was actually what made made me realize how strongly I wanted to be an actress because of what, just because of that moment with her, you know, um, I connected with her being an actress. Now, I, I, I go through and I think of your dad's movies, and how many did he actually do? Because it seems like he was everywhere during the 60s and the 70s on film. He was. He did. I don't know how many movies. That's impossible for me to count that out. <laughs> there were so many, but, you know, he did them all through his life. But, you know, it was interesting for me when I was writing my book, which just came out on, in September 21st, uh-huh. that gave me a chance to to document a little bit more and, and interview people and find out a little bit more about my dad's career. And I was just astonished at how much work, his body of work and how comprehensive it really is. And people that, that didn't live through that era, they don't know about all the variety shows because at that time, um, people didn't know that we're talking about the 1970s, right. the 60s and 70s. He did dozens of these shows and, and the variety shows brought a lot of actors back from the previous era who had been big movie stars in the 40s and gave them a second life on television, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, though, nobody knew that these big old these big old tapes, at the time they were three-quarter inch tapes, they were like big bricks. Right. <laughs> they took up a lot of space in the vaults. They had no way of knowing that technology was going to make it possible for them to read recycle these things so they literally burned all these great shows not knowing and so it was it's just heartbreaking to me to think about how many of these shows my dad did that we'll we'll never see again and and when you when you look at the films and i mean he did do a segment with disney he did and one of my favorite films growing up as a kid was the apple dumpling gang and him working with tim conway which those two worked so beautifully together because it was like they were able to anticipate what each other were doing. Um, and again, it was just one of those films that, that stuck with me as a kid. The other one, and, and the reason is, is because I'm a big Volkswagen lover, is he does Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo with Gene, Dean Jones and the little love bug where he's playing the mechanic in the film. And these, for, for people my age... These films we remember because your dad was someone that I think we could relate to and approach because of of the way he was. He wasn't threatening on the screen. He wasn't a, um, a, a, a big, burly man, but someone that we could actually identify with. That's very true. And, you know, personally, I had such a wonderful relationship with my dad. And this is another thing I, I get to explore in my book is is what he was like as a person. Mm -hmm. And I was always a little bit frustrated because a lot of people thought my dad was just like Barney Fife. Yes. 
You know? I can see that. He, he's so... He so brilliantly portrayed that character that it seems to people like that was a real person. Mm-hmm. And in their minds, it, he, Barney Fife is a real person. And I, so I always got questions about Barney Fife, and it frustrated me because my dad was such a fascinating character himself. And I wrote the book because I wanted people to see that. I wanted people to understand my dad, what he was like to be around. He was just a fascinating guy. I mean... He, was, he had this mag- magnetism about him. Even sitting in a room, not saying a single word, he had the tension of everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fascinating to me. And the, the one thing I think, though, as TV viewers, that I think we may have had a problem identifying with is when he became Ralph Furley on Three is Company. Because none of us saw him as this... Do I want to use the term swinger or or what in the 1970s? Well, but wasn't Barney a swinger? Hmm? Well, <laughs> I would okay. I mean, if if you look at it, I guess you could say he was, but I don't know. If... Sure, he had he had the you know the thing on the side with Juanita, and you know all the women were flirting with him. It was a very PG yes. way of saying, okay, this guy is hot, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So the seventies were the decade where it was it kind of broke through a little bit. Society changed a little yeah. bit, became a little bit more permissive and you know, and suddenly you had, okay, here's a guy living with two girls and they're in a platonic platonic friendship and it's okay, you know. And I'll tell you one group of people that really loved Mr. Furley was the gays. Oh yes. Because all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> he had these flamboyant outfits. I can see and, that, yeah. Um, and so it was just a, just an outgrowth of the society. Now, he was also in a movie in the late 60s called The Love God, which I could see that tying into the Ralph Furley character. Um, exactly. You, I'm glad you brought that movie up. A lot of people don't know about that movie. Um, yeah, I, I've seen, I mean, I could go through a list. He was in another one of my favorites as a kid. Hot Lead, Cold Feet was one of my favorite Yeah, films. that was a great one with Jack Elam. Yes, yeah. um, and, and he did... Um, he did the prize fighter again with Tim Conway and he did a lot of films that I think that some of us, if, if we didn't realize that he was Barney Fife, I think that we would have realized, and I mean, kids at the time really didn't know who Barney Fife was, but he was a very well renowned actor because he did so many films and he did so many variety shows, like you said. I think there's a picture of him floating on the internet, him with Cher, um, mm-hmm. dressed yeah. up. And it's like, I don't remember that. But again, I would have been exactly. in my, my uh, early teens at the time. And again, it's just, it's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. But he had so many sides to him. And, you know, people do have that locked into into their minds that he was Barney Fife, but he really was not Barney right. Fife. He was a multiplex of, of characters in himself, and he, he had this dry delivery, you know, mm-hmm. um, where he would be sitting in a party or something, and he would hardly say anything. And then suddenly he'd just lean in and say something that would just flatten everybody. <laughs> it was so witty. <laughs> now you you made a comment because when you when you saw what your dad did and you were actually in one of his films, you were in the shakiest gun in the West and you were the young girl watching the shootout. Correct? That's right. 
1968. They didn't even, I mean, they didn't even give you a, a credit. You were uncredited in the film, but you also... Well, I was an extra. Yeah. <laughs> you don't give credit to extras. <laughs> but you also had your own acting career um, where if if we go back and look at it, we could see where you were, were, were doing the same thing that your dad did. I kind of have, in a way, followed his, his career in a way because not meaning to, but I started out doing this live show and uh-huh. he also had a one-man show, which he did later in life. Much later on, he was older, um, so I did that first because I was I was I was showing the world about my life with right. him. <laughs> but we really paralleled a lot of each other in a lot of ways. Um, and, and and there's one film that I forgot all about, but when I pulled some stuff up that you were in, <laughs> and you played the character Mavis in, yeah, in the Vice right. Academy films. Um, oh my gosh, you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. And I remember watching them as a um as an adult in or young adult in college. Um and, and you worked with um oh why her name just escaped me. Jane um, Hamill. And, Jane and, Hamill. And also uh Julia uh Julia Parton. Um Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. It was in the film and it's like I'm looking at these going, Okay. I remember these, but if anybody saw you as Mavis and the black <laughs> wig, I don't think they would have known that was you. Did you no, do that purposely? <laughs> well, that was the director, you know, Rick Sloan. Yes. He had a slew of these films, and that was his, he, it was his conception. The whole thing came from his brain, and to him, it's like we were all dolls in a dollhouse. You know, okay. <laughs> we weren't, we were real people. We were like little dolls that he controlled and the look of the sets and everything the costumes was all his design and i think he did a beautiful job of that he's actually coming out with another movie too he, he oh really me, yeah i'm not i wasn't able to do this one but I, i'm sure it's going to be wonderful um and and i'm also looking through this and i did not realize this but you were in the 1986 tv movie return to mayberry um that's right and yeah. you were um opie's Ron Howard's receptionist um, in the yeah, film, right. and I recently came before I even know I was going to talk to you. I came across that movie about four months ago and watched it again. And you, when you do watch that film from '86, it does reinvoke those feelings of the 1960s, and it's done. And, and the one thing that frustrated me about the film is your dad never married. <laughs> and and, and, that, and that he did not marry. Um, why can't I think of her name? Um, Betty Lynn. Betty Lynn. Well, that's it. And that he did not marry her because I think that he, was the perfect relationship. Well, that I, oh, he did. He did. In re, yeah, in Return to Navy. Oh, okay. Get married. Okay, yeah. it was okay. It was, that's right. Yeah, it, it took it took that long for them to decide. It took twenty years. Married. But. Yeah, uh, every everybody was single in Mayberry. If you think about it, <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's amazing that Opie was ever born. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> it, it, if you look at it, um, it's true. There's never any mention of his mother at all in the show. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, well, there is early on. But okay, this is another thing I have for you, and I've seen it, and I can find it, but. 
when they originally had your your dad with Andy Griffith, there's a line where your dad calls him Cousin Andy. Mm-hmm. Were they actually cousins, or was it just something that there was a close connection between the two? No, that was an idea they started out with, and they decided to drop it after a okay. couple of episodes because they figured it would be too limiting. Okay. You know, then they'd have to tie all these characters and relatives and everything like that. So they just dropped it. Okay. Because in a lot of ways, Aunt B would have been Barney's Aunt B, but they yeah, called see, her that's, that anyhow. That's exactly, that's exactly the kind of problem okay. that would exist, you know. <laughs> okay. Because I was just curious because I remember that. I've told people this and they go, no, 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 they're not. And I go, yes, yes, they are because I can find it. And it was before Aunt B moved in is where it said. And I can picture mm-hmm. it and everything else, but anyhow. Well, uh, <laughs> well you know, I, I think that line actually started out just as a joke. Okay. Because he said, you know, I'm so glad that you've, you've examined all the best candidates, <laughs> and after all of that, you chose me, Cousin mm-hmm. Andy. Mm-hmm. So that was just a joke. I don't think it was even, maybe not even meant to, that they were cousins, and maybe they considered it after that. Okay. But they decided not, not it wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've watched, I've watched so many hours of classic television that there's times that I misconstrue things and then 20 years later I remember it as something else and I ask somebody and they go no you're wrong but at least this way you confirmed what I, what I remember <laughs> so thank you very much for that I appreciate it um so the show that you're doing is going to be this weekend um mm-hmm. yeah and you're looking are you looking forward to it is it going to be one of those things that you, you get to come back home or you're come back to dad's home and Definitely. be in the places he's been and, and doing yes i'm i'm super excited i have performed my show in morgantown before but it's been a while and i haven't performed there since i wrote my book okay and since i wrote i came back there and i interviewed people who knew him and now it's going to be great because now they're a part of this you know, in a way. And I'm also very excited because during the pandemic, all my shows were canceled. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, so that's my first time performing the show again in about two years. So I'm really excited now. Oh, okay. Um, and, and that's great. That that really is that you're able to do that. Now, one question I have for you, and actually you may not know this, but a friend of mine, and as I told you where I live at, I live just outside of the city in Uniontown, which is about 30 minutes north of Morgantown. So it could have been considered your dad's old stomping grounds when he was in college. A friend of mine remembers that your dad would used to, or at least this is what her grandmother said, used to go ice skating in a small town in Pennsylvania called Point Marion, which is just over the state line. And there was a rink there, and he would come up and he would skate. And when they found out I was going to do this, they said, you need to ask her to see if she knows anything about it, which I doubt you would. But there's a lot of people around here that have a very close connection to your dad who have who are in that age group that have told these stories well, about associating with him. Well, it's highly likely that he was that he went to that rink because, yeah. he, you know, um, Pennsylvania is very close to West Virginia. Yes. And, you know, they would go there for the a lot of events that took place in Pittsburgh. Yes. They had a lot of 
bands come through there and all kinds of exciting things. So I, I'm sure it's probably true. Okay. Well, I, I, she will be, she will be grateful to hear that, that you can, you can give some, uh, some confirmation to that. Um, <laughs> Karen, this has really been fun. I am so glad you're able to join me today and I'm doing what I can to readjust my schedule so I can see you on Sunday because oh, I would like okay. to come down and, and see the show and, and see what you're doing and, and how you pay tribute to your father. Because again, for a lot of us, he was probably would have been the nicest guy to ever meet if you saw him walking up the street again, like Steve Allen would do the man on the street. So thank you for that. I hope you can make it. It's um, Parkersburg uh, on uh, March 12th, which at is 8 Saturday. Yeah. And then um, in Morgantown at the Metropolitan um, at 4 p.m. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to make it to Morgantown on Sunday. So I got to uh, readjust some things, but I think I should be able to do it. So. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. I hope I get to see you. Oh, I would love to. That'd be fantastic. So before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to tell my audience before you uh, leave and get ready for your performances here in, uh, in in West Virginia over the weekend. Well, I certainly hope that any, any of you listening can come see my shows, either one of them, and it would be great. Um, we're having a little book signing afterwards, too, and uh, so I would really hope that you could make it. It would be fun, and if not, I'll be coming around. I'll be performing in West Virginia again in October, I believe, but not, okay. in, not in this location in other areas of West Virginia. Okay. Well, Karen, thank you very much. Good luck with everything, with the book, with your with your stage show and everything. And it was a real pleasure talking to you today. Same here, Bill. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Karen, thank you very much. That was a pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it, too. You're a very good interview. And, you know, you would interviewed a friend of mine tracy newman yes i did that was last week yeah uh, i know her from the groundlings oh do you really were you part of the groundlings mm-hmm. oh, I, I was but i never got i never got to be in a performing group but i was in the classes for a long oh, time i stuff. never realized that that's kind of cool yeah yeah um, thanks yeah that is that's really interesting yeah but i am i'm trying to make make readjust my schedule for sunday so i can come down and see you because oh, that's nice. And thank, thank you for mentioning my little career <laughs> in film. That was nice of you to do that. Well, um, I, I again, when I came across the book and everything, and, I, and it popped up on my Facebook feed that you were going to be in Morgantown for something that I might be interested in, I started going back because like i said your dad's movies were a big part of my childhood um right because we all remember them and the funny thing is my my kids i have a 20 soon to be 22 year old a 17 year old and my um my 14 year old daughter also watch his stuff oh Oh, are you in your 40s I'm in my fifties. I'm fifty five. Soon 50. to be fifty six. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. but um but especially the Herbie film because my kid my two boys are really big Volkswagen fans and that's how they got addicted <laughs> was because of, of that car and that movie and your dad. And again, it's oh, just wow. it's mm-hmm. just it's just fantastic to be able to uh 
talk to you about that and being able to do that. Okay. So, oh, that's nice. But again, I thank- wish I had. I don't have any Herbie stories. I would have mentioned them. But- <laughs> <laughs> well. There's a few out there, from what I understand, when he worked with Dean Jones in that film. And again, mm-hmm. why he, why they didn't use him in the one after that is beyond me. Because I think your dad um, basically was the replacement for Buddy Hackett. Did mm-hmm. an excellent job, and he did. He he played yeah. that. He played that position very well. That that part very well. So mm-hmm. anyway, but Karen, thank you very much. I will let you know when this posts, and um, okay, mm-hmm. and that way you can share it, and I'll share it, and we'll see how many more people we can get to uh, Parkersburg and Morgantown this weekend. Well, that'd be awesome. Thank you again. Hey, thank you very much. You have a great evening. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, a big thank you goes out to Karen Knotts for joining me today, the daughter of Don Knotts. And also, don't forget, you can see her this coming weekend. First off, March 12th from 8 until 10 p.m. in Parkersburg, West Virginia. She'll be doing her program Tied Up in Knotts. And then on Sunday, March 13th from 4 p.m. until 6 p.m., she'll be in Morgantown, West Virginia. And if you want more information about her show and her book, stop by her website, Karen Knotts. Again, that's KarenKnotts.com. Well, everybody, you have a great one. We'll talk to you next time here on The Bill Alexander Show. Thank you for listening to The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to TheBillAlexanderShow.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.